You're listening to the Nicene Creed, a Lenten podcast series from Covenant Shreveport, a church on a mission to declare and demonstrate the gospel in all of life. Learn more about us at covenantshreveport.org. Hey, welcome to the Nicene Creed. My name's Weston Brown. This is our podcast exploring a 1,700-year-old Christian faith statement that set the standard for biblical orthodoxy way back in the days of the Roman Empire and is still used by believers around the globe today. So each episode, we begin our time by reading the words of the creed. Originally, these creeds were written in a way so that they could be memorized by believers, and we hope that you will make the effort this Lent to do just that. Let's read this aloud together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. Amen. Today we're looking at what we could call the third section of the creed, which begins with the line, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Now, as we've mentioned before, historically, the form of the creed that we just read is not exactly what came out of the Council of Nicaea in 325. The original Nicene Creed basically ended with the words, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. So you had four lines devoted to God the Father, 21 lines devoted to Christ the Son, and one line devoted to the Holy Spirit. And that just illuminates the fact that originally, the primary intention of the creed was to refute Arianism. Not necessarily to provide a complete or exhaustive statement on each person of the Trinity. But eventually the church ran into a similar issue with the Holy Spirit as it did with the person of Christ. Who is the Holy Spirit? How do we talk about him? Is he also God? Do we worship the Holy Spirit? Where does he fit within the Godhead? These were all questions that people had. And just like with Arianism, you had many different theological positions floating around concerning the Spirit. We'll talk more about this in our next episode, but in 381, 
In the same way that the Council of Nicaea had been convened to deal with Arianism, the Church convened a second worldwide or ecumenical council in Constantinople to deal with yet another heresy, but this time it concerned the Holy Spirit. So, the creed as we just read it a minute ago is what was developed following the Council of Constantinople. Thus, it is officially titled the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed, which is obviously a mouthful. So, it most often is simply called the Nicene Creed. The third section of the creed not only deals with the Spirit, but it will also touch on the nature of the Church, baptism, and then a couple of statements about the end times, regarding the resurrection of the dead and the world to come. Today, let's consider what it says about the Spirit. First, the Creed affirms that the Holy Spirit is also God. He, too, is the Lord. So, in the Nicene view, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all God. To use a couple of fancy words, they are co-equal, meaning that there is not like a hierarchy within the Trinity, and they are consubstantial, which is a way of saying that they are all of one being or substance. That's that homoousius thing again. And that word, which was originally applied to Christ as a way of refuting Arianism, eventually is also applied to the Spirit. The Spirit is also referred to as the giver of life. And there are a couple of ways to look at that designation. First, the Father, Son, and Spirit were all involved in the work of creation. Genesis 1 tells us that God spoke creation into existence. John chapter 1 tells us that there was nothing made outside of Christ. And then again, back in Genesis 1, we learn that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters at the moment of creation. The Hebrew word in Genesis that is translated spirit is the word ruach, which means wind or breath. The Spirit is associated with wind throughout the Bible. For example, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles in Acts 2, it's said that there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. That word ruach, though, is also used in Genesis 2 in its breath form. It reads, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. That phrase, breath of life, could just as easily be translated spirit of life. It is the spirit of God that gives life to the man and makes him a living soul. The Apostle Paul also makes the case in 2 Corinthians 3 when he tells his readers that the spirit gives life. Next, the Creed tells us that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And this is actually one of the more controversial lines, and one of the few elements within the Creed that was actually added even after the Council of Constantinople in 381. The original Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed simply said that the Spirit proceeds from the Father. However, later in the 6th century, this became a point of debate between the Western and Eastern churches, and this part of the creed came to be known as the Phililoquy Clause. Try saying that three times fast. 
Phililoquy is a Latin word that encapsulates that phrase, and from the Son. And without going too deeply into this, the creed basically is trying to make sense of what you could call the sending language of Scripture. Even though the Father, Son, and Spirit, as we said, are co-equal and consubstantial, they do relate to each other in unique ways. For example, think of the famous verse, John 3.16, which says that God so loved the world that he, quote, sent his Son. So it could be said that the Son proceeds from the Father. But what about the Holy Spirit? Well, the example of Scripture seems to be that there is interplay between both the Father and the Son in sending the Spirit. A few key verses here. First, John 14, 26, Jesus tells his followers, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So, Jesus basically says that the Father will send the Spirit in the name of Jesus. Another key text is one chapter later in John 15, 26. But this time Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now, there are many more texts that we could look at here. For example, later in John 20, Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Again, there's that symbol of breath, that ruach, and Jesus is seemingly the one giving the Spirit in that moment. Also throughout the epistles, Paul often refers to the Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. So you can see that both the Father and the Son are involved here in the sending of the Spirit. And I think this is primarily what the Western church was trying to illuminate. That perhaps it's not just as simple as the Spirit proceeds from the Father, period. But this created a great rift and was not a minor factor several hundred years later when the Western and Eastern churches officially split. In fact, to this day, the Western churches, including Protestant churches that came out of the Roman Catholic Church following the Protestant Reformation, affirm the doctrine of phililoquy whereas the Eastern Church still only says who proceeds from the Father when they say the Nicene Creed. Next, the Creed lets us know that the Spirit should be worshipped, just as the Father and the Son are worshipped. To worship only one member of the Godhead is to not worship God. For example, Jews worship God the Father, but not Christ the Son. Likewise, there are perhaps charismatic Christian denominations where it can seem as if the Holy Spirit is primarily worshipped to the exclusion of Christ, or others still where Jesus is seemingly primarily worshipped, but maybe the Spirit is neglected. We cannot view any member of the Godhead as being any more or less deserving of our worship. They are all equally deserving of our worship. Finally, As a point of perhaps clarification or focus, the Creed says that the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets. This is reflective of verses like 1 Peter 1.21, which says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God 
as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This means that the true prophets of the Old Testament and the New Testament were not simply wise men who said wise things. They were truly declaring the word of the Lord as delivered to them by the Holy Spirit. This also reminds us that the Holy Spirit has always been active in the lives of followers of God throughout the scriptures. Even though beginning at Pentecost in Acts 2, the Spirit comes to indwell the lives of all believers, the Holy Spirit is certainly not a New Testament phenomenon. But instead, just as He is co-equal and consubstantial with the Father and Son, He is also co-eternal. Join us next time as we explore the Council of Constantinople, which faced a new heretical threat related to the Holy Spirit called Macedonianism.